Hello and welcome to episode 23 of the Retro Anime Podcast. I'm your host Ian and as always I'm here with Lewis. Hi Lewis. Hello. How are we doing? Very well. Enjoying summer weather. Yes, it's not quite so summery here at the moment. It's a bit overcast. Um, So this is our third podcast of the pandemic. Mm. Although it's pleasing to see that the lockdown is beginning to ease a little bit. Yeah, we're accelerating things here in Ireland. So that's nice. Yes, we seem to be accelerating stuff here in the UK as well. Football matches have started behind closed doors. Some of the shops have opened. The cinemas are opening in three weeks as well. So... Oof, that's early. Yeah, yeah. Although I think there's, you've got to have four seats between your groups and something like that. There's a whole list of rules <laughs> that City Fair World enough. have put out, but it's um, yeah, yeah. It's, at least see some sort. It of seems to be progressing. Thing. Whether it's a bit fast or not, we'll see. We'll yeah. see. Anyway, uh, before we get into today's content, one thing I do want to mention very, very briefly is the very sad passing of Anime News Network's managing editor Zach Bertschy. You know, it's um, it's very sad that he's passed away. Uh, I discovered Anime News Network probably 2002, 3-ish, and I think Zach was doing the Answer Man column at that time. So I've been reading him and, you know, reading his work for a very long time. And, and ever since he started um, Ancast, I've been listening to that from the, the very beginning for the last 10 years or whatever. So, yeah, it's kind of yeah very sad that... Um, that he's passed away and, and Ancast has come to an end because uh, it was one of the kind of podcasts that got me into podcasting and, and me wanting to do this podcast. So, uh, yeah, rest in peace, Zach Birchie. So today we're going to do a couple of um, sort of military air combat type OVAs, um, Area 88 OVA and the cockpit. And in a similar way to Here is Greenwood that we reviewed last episode, both of these seem to have quite a consistent presence on sort of anime fandom especially area 88 they would seem to to pair quite well it's been a long time since i've seen either of these the cockpit i saw in a vhs fan sub when i was at university so it's been at least 23 24 years since i've seen this and area 88 i saw when i bought the adv films dvd so this was probably saw it in the late 2000s and interestingly it's worth pointing out at this stage that we're watching the ADV version, which combines the first two episodes into a movie, just for clarity. And it's been quite interesting watching these again, because I think time and maturity has possibly changed my, my view on these a little bit. Um, this is the first time you've seen either of these, isn't it, Lewis? Yeah, it would be, yeah. Uh, definitely my first time seeing them. So we'll get right into it. Area 88 is a three-episode OVA released between February 1985 and June 1986. 
It's based on a manga by Kaoru Shintani. It's directed by Hitayuki Toriyumi um, of Science Ninja Team Gatchaman fame, uh, who we have talked about before on this podcast with our review of the uh, Salamander OVA in episode three. Mm. And animation production was by Studio Piero. It's ready to be available on DVD in the US from Discotech, so no problems getting hold of it. There was an Area 88 TV series that aired in 2004. Um, I've never seen it. Um, we did actually have a couple of questions regarding have a seen it from Professor Irony at Professor underscore Irony and from Evan uh, at Crusher Jones. Um, and no, I, I haven't seen it. I remember it airing, but it was just one of those things I kind of never got round to seeing. We're not going to say we're not going to do any comparisons or anything. And it's a little bit out of scope for, for what we do in the podcast as well. So a brief synopsis, Shin Kanzama tricked and forced into flying for a, the remote country of Aslan, can only escape the hell of war by earning money for shooting down enemy planes or die trying. Through the course of the series, Shin must deal with the consequences of killing and friends dying around him as he tries to keep his mind on freeing himself from this nightmare. So Lewis, what did you think of Area 88? You know, I was actually like... For for most of the the old retro anime that we've watched, it, it takes a while for me to sort of get into it. You know, maybe yeah, yeah. it takes about twenty twenty five minutes for me to be like, ah, oh, okay, so this is where we're sitting. Um, but for this, I was pretty much captured from the get go because it just opens quite strongly. Yeah, and I found just the, the setting the scene scenario quite interesting to me. Yeah, um, and I overall I did I did really enjoy it. It had quite you know it has its really obvious shortcomings. Which I think, kind of, I don't know if it, if it would have gone through more editorial and they were like, oh yeah, this is clearly like a problem here. It could be like a a real high tier OVA. Yeah, but yeah. It's still it's still really good. Like I I actually genuinely really enjoyed it. Oh right, excellent. See I see the opening scene as you say. I think it does the right thing. This is about cool fighter aircraft stuff. Yeah, and it gets right into it. The very first scene, you know, it's got a great opening action dogfight scene. And, you know, what people most remember about this OBA is the aerial combat stuff. Watching mm. it back, I think it is very good. I think it is, uh, I think it's pretty good. I should, yeah. to be honest, yeah. To be honest, watching it again now, I find the story at times a little bit pedestrian and a bit clumsy in places and I think it, it's yeah. possibly a little bit overlong because essentially what you get kind of sold on is the is Shin's drama so he's this pilot him and his best friend Satoru Kanzaki were you know high flyers at Yamato Airlines and Shin was Satoru's biggest rival at the company and basically tricks him into signing up for the Aslan Foreign Legion which is basically this sort of mercenary air force that's mm. fighting a war, a civil war in some sort of Middle Eastern country. And you've got this, the, the sort of main story of Shin fighting for the Aslan Foreign Legion and, and all the air combat stuff. And in parallel, you've got this story about his life and his former girlfriend, Ryuku, and, and Satoru's corporate skullduggery that's going on because he wants to take over the airline. Yeah. So you've kind of got these threads and then you've got the thread of Saki, who is the leader of area 88, which is this area, um, sort of air base 
that they they operate out of in Aslan, and he and he's fighting his father's who's got this rebel regime to take over Aslan. So you've kind of got these threads that kind of run in parallel and intertwine, and kind of all accumulate and sort of tie up together at the end. You've got all those bits going, and I think some of the the non combat stuff. I think there's a I think there's a bit too much of it, and I think it sometimes feels a bit clumsy. Uh, hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I don't think that's too much of a problem. Yeah, I think it'd be I think it'd be fine if uh, it stuck to its guns, as it were, and had like more of a. <laughs> it was more about two separate struggles. If perhaps, let's say, that <laughs> if perhaps that Shin was Shin's struggle was like trying to hold on to his humanity. Um, and who he is by like by you know just clutching onto he's like i he's that he's not massively into killing people yeah, he yeah. hates it he's doing it as a goal to meet an end and if that was played against you know his situation and if a little bit more was revealed about the war um and the reasons why the war was being fought early on and you know it had a bit more depth there that would be like a great little struggle for him um you know doing the right thing doing the yeah, wrong thing yeah. where we cut back to you know, uh, Kanzaki, who's fighting his own war, you know, trying to overthrow, and the you know his, and maybe giving Ryoko a bit more ground to, I don't know, be his biggest hurdle because she's only played up as a as a hurdle because he just wants to marry her, and she's a weak and feeble woman who, uh, <laughs> and that, that's like that kind of like completes her role. That's still who she is all the way through, which is yeah, a shame. Yeah, but it's like I feel like if it was like. To, it was juxtaposed a bit like they are both fighting their own sort of like ground wars in different ways then yeah know, have a, it would be really strong in putting them together in the end but you know I, I do i do feel like you're right in the sense that it does it has a lot of shortcomings in the story because it just kind of just if it, it continually just touches things but falls flat never really delves into them and, and doesn't offer some great character building moments um they just all just happen to be who they are yeah yeah because i think shin's story is quite interesting and He's, you know, he's duped into this um, fighting for this foreign legion, and you know he's out risking his life all the time, and he's desperate to, you know, because it's basically you serve three years or you buy yourself out the contract for a million and a half dollars, or you go AWOL and you get shot for deserting. Mm. Like he's this is torment. He, he's got to kill to try and and because he gets paid for killing, and he's you know he shoots and shoots, and he's a very good pilot. And he gets close, he gets close, he gets close, and then he's like plane gets wrecked or he has to buy more missiles or whatever. So he, he kind of takes two steps forwards and then has to take a step backward. And he's and it always yeah. keeps taking him further away from getting out yeah. of his hell. And, and watching him struggle with that is really interesting. And especially as you get towards the end where he he finally does get his freedom sort of thing, but he can't adjust and he's got the opportunity to go back to Ryuku and everything else, and he, he can't settle in to it. I think that's mm. quite effective because I've met soldiers and I know soldiers and I know people who have suffered that, having served, um, find it really, really difficult. You know, it's a common yeah, problem for military. Yeah. You know, for them, having, especially if they've been in combat for a long time, to try and acclimatise to Civvy Street. Yeah, and I think it exactly. does that quite effectively. And when he has yeah. that fight at the end with the the bank robbers, which again, you know, one of my problems is there's lots of very convenient 
scenes in this, which is quite convenient, but effectively just demonstrates how he's changed. You know, he's he would have never yeah. been able to do that pre his life in Aslan. I think my problem with that whole like character change thing is that it's not really driven. It's not really driven from his interactions with people from his past. He's literally just handed um, a random uh, Japanese recruit that he meets eyes with uh, at the training facility who then calls him out for being, uh, oh, you've now got the eyes of a killer. And like, it doesn't really mean anything coming from that guy, even though he's just like, he just happens to be from the same country as he is. Yeah. Um, And like everything, yeah, every, I guess, character progression point for Shin is incredibly shallow. Yeah. Because it's just, they're just manufactured situations. They're just far too convenient to be. Yeah. Yeah. To hold any weight, I guess. Yeah, and, that- uh, and which, well, that's, that's a big problem. Like, if, if like, uh, spoiler alert, if at the same, um, if at the end of the uh, of the the first AVA, when you know he's he's roaming through the desert to escape and he's abandoned Area Eighty Eight, yeah, as he claims to do, it would be more powerful to me if he started the second AVA high in hiding back in Japan, trying to find uh, Ryoko. Yeah, yeah. If he was then faced with the the guilt, um. You know, if they portrayed it like, oh, he's guilty that he he feels like he has to go back to the battlefield and finish what he started, but then it slowly gets revealed that it's not quite the guilt, and it's actually he's that's who he is now. Yeah, yeah. Know? So he thinks it's guilt, but it's actually just like he just doesn't fit in, and yeah. that would play a lot better in my mind than the fact that it was just like, guess what? He wandered through the desert and he's back at Area Eighty Eight randomly. Yeah, um, you know, yeah. and it's like it's fine if it was to end there and not carry on but like everything else just feels so shallow it's not really it doesn't really contribute to a strong character it's just a load it's just a, a series of like just placed events um, yeah it's just manufactured in that sense yeah and that's where i think it feels clumsy because it yeah. kind of stumbles along all these events and you know something like this lives and dies on its action and that yeah. hit does exceptionally well because these aerial combat sequences and the action scenes are really 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 good it's so beautifully animated as well yeah it's really really beautifully animated the fluidity of the aircraft is amazing and there's a real visceral um sort of style to the planes getting shot down because as you know you see bullets and missiles like rip through the aircraft you know especially when they're dogfighting uh, on the machine guns you know, you see the the bullets sort of rip through the pilots and rip through the engines and wings and stuff. And you know, there's like I say, it's almost like um, it's almost like mechanical gore because you know, as planes explode, you see the bullet magazines sort of spill open and all the bullets spill out, and you see all the internals of the engines sort of suddenly get exposed and and yeah. stuff. You know, and it's and that sort of stuff. It's it's absolutely brilliant, and it does that all the way through. There there isn't one bad sort of sequence and there's a couple of really really standout sequence in it for me um the one where the rebel forces attack area 81 that i think yeah. was absolutely fantastic and then where area 88 um go through the ravine to attack yeah, the rebels yeah. um it's a bit like and the they trench have run the harrier jets yeah mm. yeah and they attack them with the harrier jets um that's really good because like i say that feels like the trench run to me from mm. star wars that little bit you know it's quite tense it's Again, beautifully animated, um, a great dogfight sequence, and you know builds great tension, and it that sort of thing it does exceptionally well. 
Um, yeah. it just that then the the bits that kind of link it together in this backstory with Kanzaki and Ryoko, it just then just I don't know that just kind of feels a bit um, yeah doesn't feel right. And there's like a scene where Ryoko and Saki end up on the same flight, which is being piloted by Kanzaki. Mm. And then there's a bomb on the plane and Shin and, and, and Mickey have to save the day. That that scene, I think, is a perfect example of what's wrong with the OVA. Yeah. It's like, it's a terrible scene, I think. It's just, it's all so convenient and so implausible and everything, I think everything's kind of wrong about it. Yeah, um, I, I think it'd be fine if it had a more of a of a pent up, it, more of a build up, but it just kind of happens. They're yeah, just like, let's yeah. place all these characters in this place to make this a a, a moral um, bridge situation for Kanzaki, who's um, yeah, Kanzaki, who's like flying the plane, and he sent someone to kill Shin, and Shin ends up sending, saving his life. Yeah, yeah, uh, and also. You know, Ryoko happens to also be on the plane. And they, uh, yeah, but like, just all the key characters in <laughs> Shin's life just happen to be on that liner, and like, it would be way more impactful if like there was hints at series of events, and they could have easily done that. They could have easily played that in. Yeah, definitely written that in. So you'd been like, oh, like this, this is happening. Even if Saki said at the start, he's like, oh, I'm going to be flying off to this place, and you know, uh, he's like, flying where to? He's like, uh, X Y Z, and then said this airline, and then you know. Shin could have had a visible reaction to that. Yeah, yeah, um, definitely. Yeah, and that that would have been the that would have been maybe not quite enough, but like almost enough of a build up to to make that seem plausible. Yeah, but yeah, it's all it's all just it's pushed it's great action pushed along story wise by convenience. Yeah, that's a really good summary. I think I think that is a really really good summary, mm. and I think its total running time is about three and a half hours, and I just think it could easily lose an hour out of that and just be a much tighter much more dramatic um mm. film like a long film sort of thing or maybe a sort of it could be like a three sort of 45 minute ova um, yeah th- three episodes of that length i think it would be you know much much tighter and much much better but as i said at the start what most people remember this for is the action sequences and that's what sticks in you know everyone's mind and when anyone talks about area 88 it's like oh yeah it's got amazing animation and the combat scenes are great you know yeah um, and and that's all true and that's all true you know and that is kind of what it's about really because it's mm. you know if you're into aircraft and fighter aircraft you know it's certainly you know up and this was like 85 so you know what was sort of new and current up until that point, you know, it's got all lots of different sort of Russian and American and British aircraft, you know, tornadoes and yeah, starfighters and um, phantoms and all that sort of stuff, a few MIGs. So, yeah, if you're into that sort of thing, it's it's a joy because they're beautifully animated and you see lots of planes dogfighting that you would never normally see in real life. Yeah, and um, every single aircraft has got a, like, well, there's part of the, the, I guess, the hired forces. They all have character. Yeah, and they yeah. have unique designs, and a lot of care has been taken there, and they're brilliant. Like, yeah, and it does make me laugh that in the so the second episode of how ADV presented it, or the third episode of the of the OVA, is that um, it, it feels like they get a bit of a mid series upgrade because a lot of them all change their aircraft to more modern, slightly more modern aircraft. So uh, that I thought was um, quite interesting. 
you know, Kanzaki, his portrayal, again, there's bits of it that are really good because it does portray him as this proper scumbag. Um, you know, he's a really, really nasty bit of work and he kind of gets his comeuppance at the end when, you know, there's an event which we, we won't say too much to spoil it, but something happens at the end and he gets his comeuppance. And this bit where Ryuku, to help Shin buy out his contract, wants to sell her shares in Yamato Airlines. And Kanzaki says he'll do it if she sleeps with him, basically. And like this bit where she finally goes back to do it because she's desperate to help Shin. Um, it's really, it's a really sleazy scene, and it's done really well. And so there's, there's like real, po- there's pockets of stuff like that, which is really good. And the final scene and how the OVA ends, I think, is really good. And I think there's just really, really, really good snippets of stuff along the way outside of the main sort of aerial combat bit, which like I say, is the sort of heart and soul of the OVA. That if you kind of edited that a bit better and trimmed some of it out, I think could have just had a really, yeah, it could have been amazing, I think. It could have been really tight and amazing. Mm, For sure. Yeah, because I think the the characters are, they're all a bit one-dimensional. Yeah, yeah. Like, Azaki was the most interesting one for me, and they kind of like, you know, explore his and his past ever so slightly yeah um, but you never really get to the core of his motivations no no um besides the fact of like you know just feeling inferior and it's like okay yeah i guess that like thing but like nothing else drives him past that point and he's just, you just you just time skip along to the place where he's you know he's meant to be and then it's all taken away from him very simply yeah yeah everything like obviously everything is just second fiddle to the action it yeah. really is. So it is. Yeah, it's you know you're not going to find a great story here, but you are going to find something memorable at least. Yeah, because my frustration with Saki is that basically his background comes in one exposition dump that kind yeah. of comes a bit too late in it. It comes yeah. very very late on in, in the overall running time, and it just kind of feels like someone kind of thought, oh, do you know what? We haven't really explained what's going on here and why they're fighting. Um, mm. We better do that now because. We're coming to the end of the OVA, or you know, the end of the series. So we better have Saki explain what's going on. And I, uh, and I say it just feels clumsy. It really, really does. There is one really nice moment that I do want to mention. Is the bit where the mechanic brings Shin a cup noodle, or a cup ramen. Yeah, yeah, and he's, I really like that part. Yeah, and it's there's a similar bit where Ryoku, she's in Paris, and she has a cup ramen as well. And like you know, the the glee of this little home comfort yeah. in this terrible place, uh, you know, the the joy that that brings. And we've all had moments where those those little things just mean so much to you. Yeah, um, it's a, it's a beautiful scene. It's mm. really 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 nice. My favorite part of that part was uh, where like the lid just popped back up and he improvised and put his helmet on top. Yeah, of it. yeah. Um, because I can relate to that so much. Not yeah, exactly. Like, I've helmet, done that. I've like, put forks got... or whatever on top to close the lid down. Yeah. Yeah, like I love um, my my technique is just to place a, a bowl uh, on the top <laughs> side or a, like a plate on the top side just to really keep the steam in and steam yeah, it for a little yeah, while. Yeah. And I was like, ha, nice. Yeah. And it's really it's just it's like a very human moment and uh, I think. Yeah probably the strongest human moment that's in that entire thing yeah yeah so. absolutely yeah i agree 
Shin's the sort of most multi-dimensional, I, I suppose, because he kind of you kind of see this change in him and and his yeah. ultimately his kind of journey. But then everyone else around him's just yeah, just I say they're one-dimensional, um, which is mm. a real shame. Uh, one of the other things I think it does quite well, you kind of get these conflicts between all the other pilots, between Shin and other pilots, I should say, um, in the Aslan Foreign Legion. Mm. And I think that's quite good because I think that in like a mercenary sort of army where everyone's really out for themselves because they're just there to be paid, Yeah, really, I think that and those conflicts I think is really, really good. And I think that, again, having spoken to people... And known people in in served in various militaries. I think you know it does that kind of stuff quite well. And I think the people that the writers and and everything else, have, I think they've done their research and their homework in like what makes this sort of realistic. Because um, these type of things were proper otaku productions. The people that created and wrote this stuff were normally really really into the stuff they're creating. Yeah. Um, you can often see that with the mecha and some of the sci-fi stuff. You know, they, they were good because the people creating them understood what they were creating. They had the ideas and you know right. could and everything. And I I get that feeling with this, which is why the combat side of it or the military side of it is is really 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 good. And then the, the, the and it's just the peripheral stuff around it. I think then kind of really lets it down. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Because I I I'd give this like a. 7 out of 10. I think it, it stands on the aerial combat stuff. Absolutely. And right. I would say people to go and see it because it just looks fantastic. And you don't kind of get that aerial combat stuff with the CG and the computer stuff of today. That really beautiful hand-drawn, loads of detail, loads of fluidity. Um, you know, you've, you've got to go and check it out just for that, really. But... The rest of it, yeah. yeah, you can take a pass on. Um, I'd give it a seven point eight. It's, it's it's because I just genuinely enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I'd, I'll I'll forgive its shortcomings in the story because it's it's clear where the focus was and where they wanted to bring out the yeah the real beauty of the piece. Yeah, um, yeah, it's a shame it falls flat on some other sides, but yeah, you know, yeah, and and that's exactly where I am with it, Lewis. You know, yeah. it it looks amazing. It's all about the aerial combat, which it does absolutely fantastically. And as I said, you should go out and watch this um, for, for that and and just lap up how great an, an action sort of dogfighting animation yeah. it is, really. And, you know, I think and that's, it's safe to say you're not going to not like it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, just, uh, yeah. So I can, I can wholeheartedly recommend it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. You know, and I'm really, really pleased that Discotech have rescued the ADV license and it's still readily available because yeah mm. it's it's well worth checking out in that respect just don't expect you know a, an amazing sort of story along alongside it so uh, <laughs> yeah. so you, you kind of there's some expect expectation to manage I think yeah. in, in at the same it. time there are worse stories out there oh yeah yeah don't, don't like get the ghost me wrong. train you know there's, there's... <laughs> There's worse retro anime out there, and this is certainly a diamond in the rough. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think so. I, it's um, it's definitely got a lot going for it. Mm. So uh, yeah, which is, again, I think the reasonably high scores. It's not, it's not a nine out of ten. It's not a ten out of ten, but it is definitely very solid and, and definitely worth checking out. Yeah.
So our second review today is The Cockpit. This is a three-episode OVA released in 1993 based on industry legend Leiji Matsumoto's Battlefield manga. Each episode had a different creative team and director. Episode one was directed by Yoshiaki Karajiri, who on this podcast we've reviewed Lensman and Vampire Hunter D. Episode two was by Takashi Imanishi, um, a Sunrise stalwart who also directed the Gundam 0083 OVA. Uh, one of his few other directorial credits was an OVA called Capricorn, which I actually watched yesterday and I quite enjoyed it. It was quite interesting and we will get to it at some point on this podcast. And the yeah. final episode was directed by Ryusuke Takahashi of Votomes and Lazener fame, who again we've covered on this podcast before when we reviewed Mosaico in episode 5. The cockpit had a US release on VHS and it had a DVD release in the UK by Kaseki, so I imagine it was an absolutely awful DVD based on all their other DVDs. (laughs) And there is a region-free Blu-ray available in Japan, but obviously no subtitles or anything. A brief synopsis, this is an anthology series of three separate World War II stories with flight and air combat as a very kind of loose theme. Yeah. So getting into this review, it's interesting my my view on this, because one thing I will say, um, it's very, very powerful, very, very, you know, hard hitting, doesn't pull any punches sort of stories about World War Two. Yeah. And I will say, visiting Hiroshima has kind of, in some ways, changed my view on how I see some of the stuff in this OVA. Yeah, I'd agree. Visiting Hiroshima had a very, very profound effect on me. I've I've been to war memorials and you know war museums and stuff in the past, and they, you know, and they've all had some sort of effect. You know, the sort of horror of war and everything else, but nothing yeah. really has had an impact on me of actually visiting Hiroshima. Yeah. Um, it left a, a very, very deep Im- sort of impression and impact on me. And I think watching this now, like I say, I, I, I see it with a very different set of eyes than when I did when I was in my early 20s. It's, it's very much an anti-war story. You know, each of the episodes is an anti-war story. And each of them kind of focuses on the morality of actions taken during war or war conditions and everything else. Because yeah. each of the characters in each episode, you know, they're all kind of like, they're all very aware of their mortality and the fact that they're facing imminent death during the war, which I think is really, really interesting. Because um, if we kind of get into each episode, um, so the first one focuses on a German fighter aircraft pilot, you know, these are. Very different to Area 88. This is the era of propeller-engined aircraft, not the not the jet age. So Erhard von Reinders, he's, he's engaged in a dogfight with Allied forces and he ends up ejecting a bit early and he's kind of humiliated for it. And he gets this chance of redemption by escorting a stolen B-17 with a, with a very special cargo on it, which turns out to be a nuclear missile. And then he has this sort of crisis of conscience of whether he should um, whether it should get to its launch pad and, and get fired probably aimed at the UK um, at England 
and mm. you know and then has this moral dilemma um through that which i thought was kind of really really interesting because we did get a question from dave merrill about that so marlena and Earhart get on board this stolen bomber and marlena shows Earhart this missile which Earhart then realizes is a nuclear missile and they have a brief exchange about it during which marlena says has the nation that uses this weapon sold its soul to the devil and dave's question is has the nation that uses the bomb sold its soul to the devil and i and this is where I think having visited Hiroshima, really, I think humanity sold its soul to the devil the moment it weaponized atomic power, if I'm really? perfectly honest. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, the Hiroshima stuff is truly the most horrifying stuff I've, uh, I've witnessed in, in war history. Yeah. Having been there. Um, and like, it really is like the most awful thing. So yeah. Yeah, I'd say it's less the nation and more the idea of it, it, like it's continual threat, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no one would want to go anything through anything like that. And if you did, you'd want to be the first one hit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, know, you don't yeah. you want to be there for the aftermath. No, no, um, absolutely. And it's just uh, yeah, it's horrifying. Um but these these ones like they all they're kind of they were kind of weird as a step away because it's like um they're all just really just discussional pieces, aren't they? Yeah, they are. Yeah, just, they're just like small condensed narratives in in short story form. The episode three is obviously the a little bit more light hearted, um, but they're all the they they're all basically focusing on a human element of war. Yeah, and that's really really interesting because they like they they just bring you can obviously just like you can put something behind a word and it, it dehumanizes it like kamikaze or yeah, yeah. Know, nuclear bomb but the people who are responsible for these actions um it does explore the human dilemma yeah um and then it you know makes a point of like you know these kamikaze bombers have been replaced with icbms and now yeah. these computers do not have a human element they're no. not going to be able to pull the, they're not going to be able to pull out at the last minute these things once the once it's given an order it fulfills it yeah definitely um and it's like, yeah, it, it does. It does ask the interesting question: like, will we ever move back in the right direction, or yeah. are we going to be? Are we removing the human element to ensure destruction? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, because I think you know the first episode where it focuses on this moral dilemma of whether you should not. One of the things that came up on that question from Dave, there was a, you know, there was a, a little bit of interesting conversation behind that, you know, about. Was it the right thing to do? Absolutely, Imperial Japan and the Nazis had to be stopped in 1945. You know, that's there's kind of no question from that. And Dave went on about some of the bombings of that the Germans did, and you know, was the weapon any worse? You know, the Allies did the same. You, in retaliation to a, a bombing in London, the UK, the RAF. Um, retaliated by literally levelling the city of Dresden. You know, there was nothing of Dresden left after they had carpet bombed the city, you know. So there was it was happening on both sides. Um and the war had to be stopped because a protracted war in the Pacific was not going to be good for, you know, any nation really. And it was a very decisive weapon, but the the price Japan ultimately all those people of Hiroshima and Nagasaki paid for it was a, a, a terrible, terrible price. You know, when you look at how, and, and as you say, how indiscriminate 
the weapon was. Um, and it, and you can argue that happened all the way through the war. Yeah, the bombing of London, the bombing of Dresden. There's always collateral damage in that, and we and we kind of see that today, really, in in wars that are fought. You know, or they're still being fought now. If you look at what's going on in Syria, and you know, I think this reflects kind of like you know Oppenheimer's reaction to having created the bomb was kind of like horrified at how powerful and how destructive it was, and the fact that this was going to get used against other human beings you know he had a very big change of face about it so it's one of those you know it's an interesting what if that um, as you say in episode two focuses on you know the, the, the kamikaze pilots and a human bomb well a yeah. rocket powered bomb basically that was developed very late by the japanese in in world war Two, the yokosuka mxy7 oka or the cherry blossom because it's um, basically the cherry blossom once it's fooled it you know it never goes back it it dies and so we, we focus on a pilot nagami who has ended up as a cherry blossom pilot and then we kind of see him and the crews around him and that kind of the or the absolute inevitability of his death you yeah. know because that's it's a one-way ticket and and as you say, at the end of that episode, there's this narration that tries to show the good that came from the rockets. You know, the fact that we had the space race and we put man on the moon and everything else. Mm. But the the flip side, the, the terrible side of that was those things then became ICBMs. And as you say, an even more indiscriminate and powerful weapon um, yeah. that can be fired from thousands of miles away before you know it wreaks its very very terrible destruction on on the poor souls that are underneath it I, I think i like the way it plays that i think it's very solemn um it's the most effective episode i think yeah um, i think so too i don't want to use the word best because they're they're all kind of horrible stories in their own right it, yeah. you know when you look at the the content of it um but it's the most effective you know he, he's making this kind of ultimate sacrifice in in fighting for his country because he knows it's a it's a one way ticket, and and it's the, the behaviour of everyone around him, the crew of the the mothership, the bomber that kind of launches. So this thing is a one man bomb with a rocket engine on the back, and basically the pilot just has to steer it towards a ship with the aim of sinking that ship. Mm. And then there's these sort of bigger bomber sized aircraft that are the launch vehicle for it. And, you know, everyone sees around him has this sort of sense of duty to help this pilot who's been given this mission and is going to fulfil this mission. It's really interesting. And I think understanding a little bit more about certainly how Japanese people are and, you know, how they sense of duty. And yeah, their mindset is, I think, very different to ours. Mm. Um, and there's some really interesting bits, the bit where his first mission has failed and... He meets this new crew that are gonna launch him on this next attempt. There's like these when he meets them. There's this really awkward silence, yeah, and stuff. And I think it's really well done. Yeah, and, it's it's awful, isn't it? Because it's like yeah. he's already reserved himself to die that day. And yeah, he, there he is, another day waiting for another day to die. Yeah, um, it's horrible. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's know, it's... awful. I've also <laughs> found it interesting, like art style wise, the way he's animated against everyone else. Yeah, yeah. Um, He's got much more defined lines and, mm. and like kind, caring eyes when everyone else has kind of been given this whole, yeah, you know, I guess just 
simplistic, yeah. identifiable look. Like they're just any other, um, yeah, any other and warrior. Yeah, and they're kind of, they're all, in some ways, some of them are almost comedic. And it's a very, we'll talk about this a little bit more once we've talked about the content. But it's a very Lady Matsumoto character style. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's a really, really good observation. Actually, that he is because um, the only other one that's kind of drawn like him is the um, squadron leader who comes and apologizes for not enabling him to fulfill his mission yeah you know and even even though he's injured he still goes on the next mission to and and helps make sure that Nagami is able to launch and fulfill the duty and destiny he's been given because he's drawn he's not drawn like that he's got a like a normal you know defined sort of character yeah the face as well and but again he's kind of he is like nogami mm. in in character so there's bits of it that are really interesting and i really really like the way it mirrors the the sentiments on of the japanese with the americans who are, are on the ship that ultimately gets hit yeah um, it's everyone was in the same boat everyone was kind of this small cog in this much bigger war Every, yeah. all these people had potential destinies and, and stuff because they all talk about what these people that have died could have been in 30 years had the war not come along you know yeah, because exactly, the war yeah. diverted their their futures to one that inevitably was very very likely to end up with them being dead um you know and they all you know and it kind of reflects on the, all this potential that that everybody had yeah this particular series of events happens the day before and the, the day of the bombing of Hiroshima, you know, and they say, all oh, the bomb's been dropped, you know, and the captain says, oh, we've all gone insane. And and that's, I think, like really true and reflected really well because basically all these kamikaze pilots are all dead. Most of the um, escort squadron is dead and all these sailors and ship on the ships are all dead as well, yeah. you know, and for yeah, what? Yeah, that moment of clarity <laughs> yeah. in his in, in, impending death. Yeah. It's like, oh, this is just insane. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> what have we done? Yeah, um, it's absolutely, it's absolutely crazy. Cause um, in doing some research, you know, that's where I discovered what this, you know, the name, this rocket plane was, you know, um, 852 of them were built between 1944 and 45. Yeah. And nearly 4,000 and mainly young pilots died in kamikaze missions. You know, it was really interesting. And that's only, I think that's only like what, 19%? Was successful, yeah, something like that. It was a very, very low success rate for it. Yeah, um, it was interesting where kamikaze came from because uh, it means divine wind. Yeah, and kami and kaze, which is just wind. Kaze is wind, yeah, and kami is like a god. means divinity yeah, or yeah, god divinity or something god, like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and basically, it it became a, a a thing in Japan in in the 13th century. There were these typhoons that helped see off some foreign invaders seaborne invaders that were attempting uh, i think they were um, mongolian or something were mm. attempting to invade japan and these winds right. basically prevented them from doing it so it became this thing yeah. um, kamikaze which over hundreds of years later became a plane flying in to a yeah. an enemy ship to to try and defeat it and stop it from reaching Japanese shores again you know so it's it's, it's interesting because it's kind of really twisted 
And Justin Savakis, in his, he did a, a piece on the cockpit, and he says, you know, it's it's a concept that's very hard for a, a Westerner to get round, and I, and it is. Mm. I still find it, you know, a, a very strange concept. But the way it demonstrates it in this very short twenty minutes of animation is incredibly effective and incredibly powerful. Exactly. Yeah. And then the third episode. Um, again, which is very, very different. Doesn't really focus on flight so much, but it's it's basically a land artillery group in the Philippines, and um, they're doing a and th- and I think this kind of captures these kind of events that happen during the war really well. So they're doing they've got some artillery and they're doing a test shot and they fire it at the Allied forces, which then provokes a massive response that basically wipes out. The artillery the unit, yeah, um, and basically these two soldiers who are a bit kind of older and wiser. Um, one of them, Kodai, realizes what's about to happen, jumps in a bolt hole, and survives the attack. And they get out, and this young kid on a bike turns up requesting help because their airfield is is under attack by the Americans. Mm. And you know they go off. And Kodai, one of the guys, sort of goes and helps this kid. And it turns out to be a sort of complete... Yeah, it's a whitewash. Whitewash sort of thing because the airbase has been taken over. Yeah. And they, again, there's this inevitability that they're heading towards their deaths because it's kind of pointless. This one I find really interesting. Again, personal perspective. These two guys, and Kodai especially, you know, some soldiers just wanted to survive the war. They They were kind of... They didn't yeah, they really want to be part of it. Yeah, I remember my grandfather um, stories he told me of his time during World War Two. Um, mm. He was a truck driver in the Italian army, and he was telling me, you know, a lot of Italians. He was a farmer back in Italy um, during the thirties and early um, early forties before he got drafted into the war, mm. and a lot of him and his compatriots that didn't want to fight they didn't believe in what was going on they didn't believe in the leadership that the fascist regime Mm. a lot of them were just went along with you know they just tried to survive that's all they were interested they weren't really interested in the fighting you know they got forced to fight um you know my granddad ended up as a pow and um you know was kind of thankful to get out of it because yeah, I mean, his life as a POW wasn't the early bit of it wasn't great, but he survived. And and always remember after the war, he was his whole thing for the rest of his life was that he survived, yeah. and he he got out of the war, and he was able to have children and get married to his sweetheart and all the rest of it. And I think this episode does a really good job of reflecting that kind of mentality for the the common field soldier. Yeah, yeah. And inevitably, he gets, he gives up his life to to save a younger life, so that that younger life might still have yeah. a life after the war, sort of yeah. thing. He he knows full well that is he's going back, throws it away, and yeah, and basically just puts himself in a position where it's just like it's it's me. It's got it's got to be me. Yeah, if we carry on with this, both of us are going to die. But it's needless that both of us die. And, you know, you've got more of your life in front of you, so just go and live it sort of thing, you know, which I think is really interesting. And it's much less sort of intense than, like, the the, the first two, I think. But it's no less powerful I, mm. I, in my eyes. And like I say, that's where I think a little bit 
my view on these has changed. This one especially, I think maturity and and stuff. But I think again, having seen and been sort of old enough to understand what's gone on through a lot of conflicts since I, I've watched these and, and the various conflicts that have happened. You know, I think that's yeah. where... Because Area 88, I didn't mention this, but a lot of what goes on in Area 88, this sort of battle, you know, civil war between regimes in the yeah. Middle East, it's still so relevant 35 years later. Yeah. Because that's exactly what's going on in the Middle East today. The, uh, yeah, I think... But, but it's it's primarily done for entertainment on that sort of things. And it's yeah. like, it's it's it plays with a very shallow layer of, like, accountability. Um, yeah, yeah. Primarily kind of just sexualizes it it's it is yeah whereas yeah. this doesn't do that at no. all this is a much more sort of profound yeah um, and, and where this sits in its, its its profound approach to things makes it incredibly hard to kind of give it a rating yeah because you you don't re, you're not really i wouldn't say you'd ever go into it watching it for an entertainment perspective no. more of a reflective from a reflective standpoint it's definitely worth watching yeah um uh, but I'd, I'd hesitate to ever give it like a a number out of 10 purely because they're what you get out of it really isn't something you can i guess objectively deconstruct other than the the fact that it, it looks at these aspects of war and the rest happens its interpretation of such happens in your head yeah you know and it's 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 harder to rate something like that yeah yeah definitely because one of the reasons i paired these mm. originally was because they both kind of have kind of like war is hell, anti-war sentiments about them because you look at the what war and killing people does to Shin in Area 88. Yeah. But it kind of says, but but look how cool this aircraft fighter aircraft stuff is. Isn't it really, really... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, do you know what I mean? It's like it's like it really, like you say, it's almost like fighter aircraft porn. It really glamorizes how cool this stuff is and sh what how cool yeah. shooting other aircraft down is and all the rest of it. Yeah, and this one isn't. But if you knew very little about either of them and went in and looked at some of the screenshots and stuff and the stories, you could almost believe without knowing, without having seen them and knowing too much about them, that they're almost kind of like the same thing. Right. Because a lot of the pictures you see of the cockpit is like the World War Two fighter aircraft dogfight stuff. So you could almost be led into believing that these are kind of like the same thing. Yeah. And they're not, you know, and that's kind of why I paired them. And, and actually having watched them again now after such a long time, you know, actually there's much more, um, there's a much bigger gap between them than I kind of remembered and actually i say with maturity and life experience you know there's a real gulf between them um mm. but you you could easily be sold that they're the same sort of thing yeah <laughs> you know the cockpit i say all the cool pictures of german you know allied spitfires and measure smiths and all the rest of it yeah you're yeah. in for a different kind of ride yeah into yeah the um yeah and like you say it is different to compare them um the cockpit like um area 88 is it's stunningly animated. Um, yeah, incredibly well You know, done. it's very, very well done. It does, you know, we watched a, a Blu-ray rip of this and it just does look absolutely um, incredible. And I think that really, really helps, you know, it really kind of makes it very, some of the visuals and what's going on very, very vivid. 
Mm. Um, interestingly, the cockpit it is a Lady Matsumoto, and as we refer to, um, the character designs are real standard Lady Matsumoto character designs, and the same as what you'll see in any other Lady Matsumoto. And Marlena Earhart's fiance or former love, I should say, um, in the first episode, is the same as every other female lead in every other Lady Matsumoto anime as well. <laughs> it yeah. does seem to just draw this one one sort of female sort of wayfish with long hair uh, <laughs> character design now. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's like a fairly standard, but the cockpit, and it's difficult to kind of say this, it's good in how effective it is. You know, yeah. it's not like, it's not like 88 where it's like, yeah, go watch it for some really, really cool aerial combat stuff. Mm. But it's such a reflective and in some ways a, such a, thought-provoking piece yeah that you'd recommend it for that yeah that's where i'd settle on it it's like i can't give it a rating because it's not a conventional yeah piece. it's not a they're consolidated narratives um designed to make you think about the is they're just discussional pieces about the human element yeah. of war yeah um, responsibility and duty and so for that reason i will not give it a rating but i will definitely say it's worth watching yeah, I agree. I, I recommend if you're interested in history and World War Two and kind of how how that war affected people, then yeah, it's definitely a, a very high recommendation to go and uh, go and check it out. Yeah. Mm. So that brings us to the end of our reviews. Next time, we're going to be delving into the long-running and much-loved Doraemon franchise, and we're going to review the first three movies that were released in the very early 80s. Where to find us? You can find us on Twitter, at RetroAnime. You can find the podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitch Radio, Overcast FM, Podbean, CastBox, Podcast Edit, Pocket Casts, and most podcast hosting services by searching for Retro Anime Podcast. Please like, subscribe, leave us a review. It all does really, really help with the visibility of the podcast. Have a website, retroanimepodcast.com, which I'm in the process of rebuilding. It's not a great site. It's terrible, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> Get a WordPress. I can help you out with that. Yeah, so I'm going to go and um, tart it up a little bit and, and make it better. I'm struggling with the service I'm using. I'm struggling to make it do the stuff that I want it to do on. So, um, yeah, I'm going to kind of rebuild it. So, And as with Lewis's help there, I'm going to make it much, much better. <laughs> um, I do have an email address, Ian, at Retro Anime Podcast. I am quite active on the Anime UK news forums. My username is Orgun, O-R-G-U-N. Please also check out my Mecha podcast. There's a companion piece of this, Retro Mecha podcast. Find us on Twitter, at Retro Mecha, and the same 
hosting sites as this one. And that's it. That's the end of the podcast, Lewis. So, yeah, yeah very interesting discussion there again. Um, mm. Two kind of similar themes, but just very different execution, I think. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. But I do recommend that, that people check both of these out. Yeah, yeah. I definitely give them both a very solid recommendation to do so. Yeah, cool. Right. And that's it for today. So, yeah, uh, that is it for today. Until next time, I guess it's uh, stay safe, stay well, and uh, we'll speak to you again. Yeah, indeed. Stay safe, everybody. Bye. Bye now. The opening and closing music of the podcast is the opening theme to Brave of the Sun Firebird, copyright to Sunrise Studios. All other music used within the podcast is copyright to its respective creator.